We got one more place to turn. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel, you don't have to stand up this time. Well, we are going to stand up to read, but not just yet. 1 Samuel 18. All right. How are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, you can say word when you guys get there. All right. 1 Samuel 18. So today we are talking about biblical friendship. Now there are a lot of opinions out there on, on what a friend is uh, or what a friend should be, but today we're going to be answering the question of what does the Bible have to say about friendship? Is it needed? Is it not needed? Is it necessary? Is it God-given? We're going to look at all the details today. Now, God has designed you and I not to live life on our own, right? Even when he created Adam, does anyone know what God came to the conclusion of when he created Adam? Day number seven, sorry, day number six. So he looked at him, remember, and he said that, yeah. Yeah, he needed a friend, exactly. He said, it is not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to make for him a helper comparable. Now, that was Eve, and that was, of course, a picture of marriage, but we have a principle there. And the principle is that sin is not the reason why we need people. It's God's design, right? Adam had not yet taken of the fruit. There was no sin in the world, no death, and yet God would see him as incomplete. God made us in, the, in a way that is literally how we are designed, is not to live life alone. God has made you and I relational people. Why? Because he is a relational God, right? We see this picture in the Trinity, the Godhead, that's always existed. Before the creation of matter, space, and time, there was this threefold relationship, uh, and, and we see that continue as he creates man. Because you and I, are made in the image of God, yes? We're made in God's image. And so we have, uh, we, we have that transferred to us. You know, even when Jesus was on this earth, there were 12 people that he picked to pour into. For three years, he poured into them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And at the end of it, he told them in that upper room, that last supper night, he said, I no longer just call you servants, he says, but I call you friends. He didn't just have one. He did have 12. But even, even within that 12, there were the three. You guys know of Jesus's inner circle within the 12? Anyone know the three disciples that seemed to just be around Jesus a little bit more that he would bring uh, on, on certain special occasions? Yeah. Peter, that's one of them. Who's, who's the other two? Yeah. John. And then there's one more. Anyone know the last one? Yeah. James, yeah, John, right? John and James were brothers, the sons of thunder, and Peter. But he did it in a way that was, he, he never, the others never seemed jealous. He did it in a way that there was no personal, right, favoritism. We know God doesn't play favorites. But there were some people that were closer, and I think it's a good model for us. Obviously, the intention behind that was Jesus was going to go to heaven. These 12 would be the ones that were to change the world, minus one. And even in that, right? Did, did Jesus know that Judas would betray him? He absolutely knew. Yet, even in that, he still 
would, would, would pursue, in a sense, that friendship. And sometimes that, that is the reality. Though we are designed for it, we are sinful people, and so sometimes there is those that can let us down. That's why our hope is always to be in the Lord, but God has supplied us with friendship. There's an old African proverb, an old African proverb, which means it's not a biblical proverb, but it is wisdom. Uh, and apparently it is old and it is African. But nonetheless, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we know from scripture that the life of a Christian is not a sprint, but it is a marathon. We don't know that day that we're gonna go home. It could be today, it could be next year, it could be 50 years from now. But we know that God has designed the church, not only us as humans, but especially us as born-again believers filled with the Holy Spirit. He's given us the body of Christ. He's given us people to do life with. You know, it's true that you don't have to be a Christian. uh, Sorry, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. However, what you find in the local body of believers is friendship that you cannot find in the world. There's a certain level of connection and loyalty with believing friends. Is it wrong to have friends that are unbelievers? No. But I think your closest friends should be those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, should be those that have that common goal, that common purpose. And we're gonna see that today in this example between the friendship of David and Jonathan. You guys are turned to 1 Samuel 18, And these first four verses that we're going to be looking at today, uh, they are going to be uh, the foundation for this friendship that we see in the Bible between, of course, we know King David and who could have been King Jonathan. This was an unlikely friendship. These two, Jonathan and David in the Bible, were probably the most unlikely to be friends, yet they became friends. Jonathan was the son of Saul, King Saul at the time, and he was heir to the throne. He is what we call the crown prince. He was the one that when Saul was to die, he would take his place in line. Yet, we know David. David was anointed by who to be the next king? Right, Samuel. And so you have two people that in the world, these people would be enemies. But because of a common bond, uh, in, in, in their relationship with the Lord, their love for the Lord, it created a friendship that would stand the test of time. Now, as we open up to 1 Samuel 18, we come to a time from coming off of a great victory. Does anyone know what great victory took place in 1 Samuel 17? You could look there and, and, and let me know. Chase. Yeah, David and Goliath. So David and Goliath is in chapter 17. The end of chapter 17 is when Saul gets word of, of, of David, and he says, who is this? And they, they have this meeting, and they have this point where now David, I mean, just, just conquered Goliath. They were able to destroy their enemies. And so now he is being recognized by King Saul, and this is where he meets Jonathan for the first time. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. Let's give God our attention and our focus because he is worthy of it. 1 Samuel 18, we'll start in verse 1 and go down to verse 4. Four simple verses we're looking at today. All right, Bible's in hand. 
Let's look. Verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. He would now stay in the kingdom. Verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belts. Let's pray together. Fathers, we look at this topic of friendship today and we look at this example of David and Jonathan. Lord, you didn't have to put this in your Bible, yet you chose to. No doubt there are numerous applications, but God, we pray that you would bring us the one interpretation, the one way that this scripture is to be understood. And then you, by your Holy Spirit, would, Lord, help us to be appliers of that word, that we would be doers. God, would you clarify in our mind the topic of friendship, all the opinions, all the bad advice, the good advice. God, would we hear from your word and would we move forward in light of it. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, you may be seated. Now, we are first introduced to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel 14. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever read through like books like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. It is awesome. The Bible is incredible. And the, the best part is that it's not a story, it's an account. These things actually happened. And 1 Samuel 14, Saul is king at this time, and we're introduced to his son, Jonathan. Jonathan basically initiates a two-man war against the Philistines because Jonathan knew God. And he basically told his armor bearer at the time, if God can save with many, then he can save with few. It doesn't make a difference. You see, both David and Jonathan were similar in that they were men of boldness. Jonathan was unafraid, trusting in God. David just displayed that in the last chapter. They were both men of action, and they both had real relationships with God. However, as similar as they were, they had extremely different backgrounds. As I'd already mentioned, Jonathan would have been the firstborn son an heir to the throne of his father David, sorry, his father Saul. David was the eighth born, the last born son of a lowly farmer who himself was simply a shepherd. Now we know that he was just beginning to be elevated here. You see, Jonathan was the crown prince. They no doubt had a conflict of interest. He was expected to take Saul's throne one day, yet it was Samuel who anointed David, not Jonathan. And that's what makes this friendship so interesting and dynamic. It seems that Jonathan would have seen what David had done. He would have been on that battlefield when he would have slayed Goliath, when he would have done what no man was willing to do as this young shepherd boy. And he would have seen his heart for the Lord. He would have heard the words of David when he said, you will not defy the God of Israel. And it seems to be an instantaneous 
friendship. There was this meeting, and from that meeting, it sealed the deal that they would be friends for life. Look in your Bibles and look at verse 1. We're told that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. There was something taking place here below the surface. It wasn't just that Jonathan looked to David and said, man, he's a warrior like me. We're going to be best buds. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just the surface. There was something that he saw that was connected to his soul, knit to the soul. It means to become attached, to be bound together. And I believe this friendship, this type of friendship is possible for all of us. But we're going to see how this happened and what took place as a result. Knit to the soul. The same word shows up a handful of times in the book of Genesis. There's one time when there were twins being born, and how they would do it back then is they would tie a string to one of the twins that just came out of the mother to indicate which one was which. That same word, when it, when it talks about tying the string, is the same word, knit. We also find it in the book of Genesis, described as a father's love for his son, how his love was bound up in his son. It basically speaks of a deep connection, a deep connection. Notice verse 1 and 3. It says that Jonathan loved him, being David, as his own soul. You guys see that? It's noteworthy for us to make mention of. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is repeated twice in verse 1 and 3, I think for emphasis. Because you and I as humans, the person that we love the most is ourselves. When we wake up in the morning, who do we think about? We think about us. When we look at a group photo, who do we look to? We look at ourselves. When we're hungry, who do we feed? We feed us. And that's something, it's, it's natural in the sinful way. We, it's just who we think about. It, it's some not sinful aspects to it. It's, it's normal, like we should feed ourselves. We should, you know, do those things. But even Paul said that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes yet it. And that's what makes this unique that he loved him not for what David could do for him, and, not, and David didn't look for, to Jonathan, what, well, this is what you could do for me. No, they, they should have been enemies. But there's something that Jonathan saw and something that he chose, right? Love, we know, is an action. It's not just this feeling. It wasn't that he saw Jonathan and was just was, was like, ah, oh, this, is, this is a friendship. No, there's something that was chosen here. In the New Testament, Colossians 3.14 Paul says that you and I are to put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So we learn something about love here, that there's something bonding about love that brings us to perfection or maturity, completeness. There is this instant bond between David and Jonathan, and that bond was love. And this was not, none other than a, an agape love. This is the type of love that God has for us, that it's sacrificial. It wasn't the case that, that he looked at, they looked at each other thinking what they could do, but rather there is this sacrificial element. And that's really what it means to truly love a person. 
to truly love another person is to love them not only like yourself, but putting them above yourself. This is what we learn from scripture, right? This is the commandments that Jesus gave us, that we are to love one another. Now, sometimes we only reserve that for a select few, but it is instrumental in any real friendship. Love has to be present. Love has to be present. And of course, today we're talking about a, a love that isn't romantic in the sense of, of, uh, of a relationship in that way. We're talking about a, a friendship love. We're talking about a sacrificial love. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Isn't that love? Let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. If you look at the context of this verse, it's talking about Jesus. This is how Jesus acts, and so this is why you and I are to put on this mind and also act in this way. Now, so often, what I just described to you is what should be involved in friendship. The idea is often backwards. See, I think God gave us friendship, and Satan loves to distort it. And so we tend to think, rather than putting the person above ourselves, we look at a friend and we think, well, what can that person do for me? What do they have to offer me? What do they have in common with me? What is it in it for me? Why would I want to be their friend? Do you guys see the common denominator? Oftentimes, friendship revolves around me. That's why there are friendships that can break off so easily because something happens that hurt you and so you're done. But you see, a biblical friendship is able to go through lows and highs because of this type of perspective towards the other person. And so sometimes we wonder, well, why don't we have these friendships? Or at least why don't we have ones that are deep? Sometimes the answer is because we're not being the friends that we want to have. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're not being the friends that we want to have. We're like, man, I want this. I desire just that one person or two people or like Jesus had the three and then also the 12. You know, someone not just that I just see, but someone that I can trust, someone that has loyalty towards me. But sometimes we don't offer that loyalty towards the other. We have to be the friends that we want to have. And this starts by not thinking about what that person can give you what can you offer that person? Now, this idea is profoundly biblical, what we're talking about today. I love the simplicity of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Doesn't that make sense? If you would like to have friends, or you would like to have a, a legitimate loyal, trustworthy friend that's in it for the long haul, that's in it for when it gets hard or it's easy, that has your back, that will be there for you, then you yourself have to be that friend. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. You know, I, I've been doing this a little while now, pastoring over junior high students. And, you know, I've had students come up to me and say like, man, I'm not, I'm not, well, sometimes it's not parents, sometimes, sometimes it's not students, it's parents, whatever. I, I've had students say, you know, I, I'm not making any connections here. Or no one is being, no one said hi to me, or I'm, I'm not being treated friendly. But then they come in and they have their earbuds in, and they sit in the corner. Do they look friendly? Do they look like someone that 
someone would want to come up to, or they have their face buried in their phone. You know, the reason, you know, we have a no phones zone policy here, right? In this room, I don't even want to see your phones. So that's why typically when I'll ask you, or when I see, I'll just ask you to put away, because we want you to build relationships here. We want you to find your friendships here where we have this commonality because we know that the, the, the benefits that can come from that, and we want that for you, but a man or person, woman, girl, boy, who has friends must himself be friendly. And notice, look at the second part. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a, what does it say? Than a brother, than family. How, how do you get to that point? How do you get to a point where you could have a stronger bond with a, with a brother and sister in Christ who you're not blood related to, yet you could have a loyalty, devotion, and, and, and this, this loving friendship outside of even your family? It starts by being the friend that you would want. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he's one of the world's great poets of of, of the past. It says, the only way to have a friend is to be one. The only way to have a friend is to be one. So often we, we look at someone else or we come into a room and say, man, those people are unfriendly. When we should be looking in the mirror. Listen, we have the motto around here. If you want a friend, be a friend. And I think that not only goes with, of course, there, you know, you have the acquaintances. You guys know what an acquaintance is? Right? Someone you know, it's someone you, like you, I'm sure uh, there's some of you that have acquaintances in this room. You're not necessarily like friends where you're, you know, there's like this, you're hanging out outside or there's this connection, there's this loyalty. You're acquaintances. We want that for you. That's good, especially within the body of Christ. But I also think this, this would be towards those, those loyal friendships that God, I believe, desires us, us to have. Now, I realize that there's probably some of you in the room that you, you feel like you don't have any of those connections. There's, you don't have that David and Jonathan type of bond. Well, I want to challenge you, just begin to be that. What you want, begin to be that to those around you, to those that God puts in your path, whether that's here, whether that's somewhere else, and just see what God begins to do. Okay? Make sense? Now, back to David and Jonathan, there were two things that came from, right, there's this meeting. We don't exactly know what happened, but there's something. I don't know if there was a conversation, but this, this, there was this instantaneous friendship. But notice two things that come from it. The first one is a loyal shake, verse 3. Verse 3 says, then Jonathan and David made a covenant, an agreement, an alliance, a compact a committed relationship when both parties come together and agree because he loved him as his own soul. This covenant that they made to one another was based upon a shared mutual dedication to be for the other person. Now, I don't exactly know what this looked like. Did they hug? Did they shake hands? Did they say like, all right, we're, we're in it? We're, we're going to have each other's back no matter what comes. Because it seems like they both knew that they were going to be, in a sense, they, had the heir, they were both the heirs to the throne. One, of course, according to the will of God. One, according to the will of man. And so there's this agreement that no matter what comes, there's going to be this 
this for one another. And this is that same word, the idea of covenant. That's the same word that we see in the Bible when God makes a covenant with, say, Abraham, for example. There's a mutual agreement of loyalty and commitment, not just in it for the moment, but for the long haul of life. And now I don't think that we need to have these like moments like David and Jonathan had, you know, where we, you know, shake each other's hand, we hug each other and we're like, hey, we're, we're in it. I think this just happens for, for us more naturally over time. There is no doubt some cultural customs here. You guys ever been on vacation, maybe camping, a retreat uh, or a, a resort or something, and you make what I like to call a vacation friend? Like whether, you, you know, it's like the campsite over and you're like, we're like so close. And then, and it's like for seven days, right? You, you know, you, you see them and, and, and it's legitimate. Like you guys, have, you guys are hanging out together. That's not what this is. It's not, a, Jonathan and David weren't vacation friends. This was something that would go and extend and last over time. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Listen, biblical friendship is about loyalty. Notice it says a friend loves at all times. Not just in the easy times, the good times, but the hard times. When the going gets hard, it's trials that forge friendships together. It's, it's going through something together. And a friend loves at all times. That's why it says, and a brother or someone that is basically family, brother or sister, is born for adversity. And this is true. Whether it's people that go to war together, that when they come home, there is a bond that's just something that other people can't, can't understand. They weren't there. Or maybe it's being on the same sports team as someone where, where there's something about being that team and going through something together. And sometimes there is that inner conflict. Sometimes it's just dealing with outer conflict. It forges you together. Have you guys ever done an escape room before? Raise your hand if you've done an escape room. Raise your hand if you've never even heard of an escape room. Okay, you guys know what they are, right? You basically pay money for someone to lock you in a room. Yeah? So you pay like 30 bucks. I mean, they're, they're very fun. They lock you in a room. I mean, you like could get out. They always have like the, you know, you, you could uh, if you start like freaking out or getting claustrophobic or whatever. But, right, they, and, and it's usually a handful of people. I mean, I guess you could do it alone. That sounds like horrible to me, but, but that's, a, that's another, another thing. And so sometimes you have one person, sometimes, you know, you can go with a group of people and you basically, you know, there's like a theme and you have to like, you have to figure out the riddles and stuff. And, and then there's like sometimes secret doors and different things. And, and you have an hour to, to escape out of the room. Now, if you've ever done one, whoever you do that with, you usually become, I mean, you usually become sometimes frustrated with each other. But in that is like, man, especially when you accomplish it and there is that adversity that the, the clock's going down and, you know, there's yelling and, and, and you're just touching everything, trying to figure out a, uh, a different clue. But you come out of that and, and there's something that going through that together just produced something different. It's something awesome. Now, we really see that in this relationship with David and Jonathan. They went through a lot together. Um, have you guys ever had a friend that your parents didn't like, didn't approve of? Maybe they told you, hey, we want you to stay away from that person. We're not liking what we see. Now, this has nothing to do with what I'm about, the point I'm going to try to make. 
But listen, usually your parents are pretty spot on with that, okay? So and they didn't pay me to, to tell you that. That's just what I've seen. Um, it's usually when your parents don't like someone, you know, that's just, they probably know what they're saying. But anyway, you might have had a parent or uh, a friend that your parents didn't like. Probably, at first service, they claim to. I don't believe them in any way. You probably haven't had one of your parents try to assassinate one of your friends, right? Because of how much they didn't like them. People in first service were trying to tell me, they're like, yeah, yeah, we did. I'm like, no, you're, you're lying. Listen, Saul, Jonathan's dad, right? You guys following? Saul, how long, does anyone know how long, I don't even know, how long he went after David trying to kill him? He threw spears at him. He sent armies to hunt him down like a dog. This is now his son's best friend. The conflict that they went through together. Jonathan at times had to stand up to his dad. Sometimes they had to just play it safe. Their, their relationship went through conflict, but they had this understanding that regardless of what we go through, we're going to be loyal to one another. This is biblical friendship. Notice the, the second thing, though, which 100% plays into it. Notice the selfless act. Look at verse 4. It's easy to read over. These four verses are extremely easy to read over, but I think they are very important for us to look at. Verse 4 says, And Jonathan took off the robe. This would have been his royal robe. This would have been what distinguished him as the crown prince, as royalty. He takes it off and he puts it on David. He not only takes his royal robe off, but even to his armor, his sword, his bow, and even his belt, which would have been with the tactical gear that he had in his whole, his whole setup. You remember when Saul tried to get David his armor in the last chapter? Remember it didn't fit and David's like, I'll just go without it. See, th this is different. This is not only was this like, no doubt it would have been of nice quality. The royal robe would have been legit. The sword, those different things. I mean, he's, he's the second highest in command, of course, under his father. It wasn't just a nice gift. There was some symbolism here. Remember, whose throne is Jonathan the, the bloodline heir to? Saul. Yet we know David is anointed by God. It seems to be that Jonathan recognizes the call on David's life to be the choice king. And essentially what Jonathan is telling David by this action is that he sees him as the next king of Israel and he should be dressed accordingly. Now this was extremely humble. This was something to do that, that took faith. Jonathan had a step to the side. He could have just said, you know, forget that. But he didn't. He acted in absolute selflessness, trusting God for the future, and was willing to lay down, in a sense, his life, what, was, what you could argue was rightfully his for the sake of David. This, listen, this is a picture of friendship. This is biblical friendship. It's not what I can take from them. It's who is this person, and there's something mutual. There's something, I, I respect their walk with the Lord, or whatever it might be. I'm going to step aside for their sake. Now you might not, you're like, I don't have a royal robe. That's okay, okay? I don't have a sword. 
It's not about that. It's a, it's a symbol of putting yourself second. Jonathan gave in a way without expecting something in return. There was nothing that he was going to get back for this. It wasn't a loan. It wasn't say, you know, David, when you are king, like, just remember me. No, he could have taken the throne himself. It was a gift. Friendship is something that is given to us by God. It's his design. But oftentimes, the way that we look at it can pervert the intention. The intention is to be a companion. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. This is Solomon writing this years later. Solomon being David's son. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Can you get by without friends? You can't. It's not, you know, you can't get by without drinking water. You're going to die eventually. You're not going to die not having friends, but it is certainly going to be beneficial for your life. C.S. Lewis says, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy or like art or whatever it is you like. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. As we live, I believe God has designed friends to bring joy, to bring benefit, to bring encouragement, to bring prayer, whatever it might be. We are not made to do life alone. Now, there are some people that, have you, ever got, have you guys ever talked with someone, and maybe that's you, you, you say, I'm not a people person? You guys ever heard that before? I'm not really a people person. Now, typically what they mean when someone says that is they're more introverted than extroverted. Like sometimes being around a lot of people like stresses them out. I get that for sure. There, I believe there's no such thing as someone who's not a people person. Now, you might like less people, but you need someone. God has designed us to be people people, all right? He's designed us to be around people. It's, it's something necessary. And especially, listen, it's one thing out, outside of Christ, just that God's created everyone and that's how he's designed them. But especially within the church, you want to you wanna be used for the kingdom of God. It was Jesus who sent them out two by two, right? He sent them out two by two. Now, again, maybe today you don't have any friends like Jonathan. Well, I want to challenge and encourage you to start being that friend that you desire and start praying that God would put that person or two in your life that you could, that you could exchange this type of friendship with, all right? So we're nearing the end, but I want to, I want to share with you guys some pro- We made a couple references to the book of Proverbs um, but I want to show you a couple other things. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 12. You can leave 1 Samuel. We are done there. Um, but just in closing, I, I want to look at some wisdom in the book of Proverbs about friendship. About friendship. We looked at two, but there's a few more. There's a few more that I think are important for us to look at. Proverbs chapter 12 is, we'll, is where we will start. And then we'll look at a couple also in chapter 27. But Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now listen, friendship is important, 
but it shouldn't just be anyone. We should be friendly to everyone, but there should be only certain people, right? Jonathan didn't just make a, that, that covenant with anyone. It wasn't, he didn't give his armor to anyone. There was someone that, that there was this understanding, we're on the same page. And I think for us as believers, as, as wanting to live a life that is righteous or right with God, we got to choose our friends carefully. We got to choose them carefully. Those that we give that loyalty to, to we, should, we should look at their lives. We're not looking for perfection. It's not like they have to interview to be our friend. But how do they interact with other people? How do they treat you? Because these people are going to have influence over your life. That's the design of having a friend. But the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Have you guys ever heard that one? I'm sure many of your parents have paraphrased this. You better watch out who you hang out with. You become, you become who you, you're around. And it's absolutely true, right? The whole thing, if you show me a man's friends, I will show you his future. Have you guys ever heard that? Because there is such influence there, and hopefully that would be in the positive, but if their company, right, that's, that word company means association, if you are now joining in to someone who is seeking to do evil, they are going to bring you down. And it's going to corrupt the good habits you have. It's going to corrupt them. And I love that the Bible says here, do not be deceived, because we can be so deceived on this matter. We can think that we're the exception. No, like, you know, they're just... They're trying their best, and, and we can begin to question even God's word. That's why when your parents typically say those things to you, it's because they're seeing their influence corrupt the good habits that they've been pouring into you, right? Am I wrong? No, I'm right, because it's God's word. Now listen, friends aren't just people to hang out with. That's a benefit, you know? Tate's one of my good friends, and we like talking about coffee and baseball and all kinds of things. But listen, our friendship goes much beyond that. There's a mutual encouragement, and, th- and there should be this impact. And sometimes we got to be willing to say the, the hard things to each other because life is more than just hanging out. And that's why the Bible says this, Proverbs 27. If you guys turn a little bit in your Bibles, you can turn there or look on the screen. But Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, we need people in our life that are willing to say the hard things. And this is usually the sure sign of a friend. When they, they are willing to call you out on your stuff, when you are being a dummy, that they're willing to say, hey, you're being a dummy. You see, it's the kisses of an enemy that are deceitful. They just kind of like, no, I don't want to make them upset. I don't want them to be mad at me. You know, that's typically, why won't you encourage that po- person in the Lord? Why won't you show them, hey, you're doing this, and this is not what God's word says. I don't want them to be mad at me. Well, that's the wrong view of friendship. Our view of friendship ought to be biblical, where we have that perspective of, I am to be there for them. And so if they're mad at me, that's that's on them, but I'm going to be the friend that I know God has called me to be. And so sometimes that's saying the things that will hurt, but are beneficial. Does that make sense? doesn't mean you like you're always like super hypercritical and calling them out on everything. But there's those moments when you know, man, God's calling me to say the hard thing. We should say it. Proverbs 27, verses 9 through 10 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, 
and the sweetness of a man's friends give, gives delight by hearty counsel. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. You know, true friendship gets below that surface level stuff. There's, there's that time where you should be able to go to them and get that hearty counsel. And that hearty counsel is, is when we take God's word and just, just show it to our friends and say, listen, this is what God's word says, so this is what we do. You know, it gets past the video games, past the hobbies, past the mutual interest into the deep things of people's lives. But listen, that takes sacrifice. That takes love. That takes a willingness to say, I'm going to put myself second because it's harder for me to give you counsel. It's going to take my time. It's harder for me to say the hard things, but my friendship with you is not about me. It's about us. It's about us growing closer with the Lord. But we do got to realize, as much as we've talked about friendship today, listen, friendship isn't the end all. It's not. Jesus is to be our all in all. He's the one that we're to find contentment. If, if the only friend in this world we have is Jesus, we have all the friends that we need, okay? However, God has given us people around us. Sometimes we just got to look around. Sometimes we got to start having that perspective shift where not so much like, well, what's this person going to do for me, but what can I do for this person? But we got to realize that people are going to let us down, all right? Certain friendships you have, there's going to be people that point you in the wrong direction, and that's why we got to choose them carefully. But even that, I mean, you guys know about Job in the Bible, right? Job, he had a certain amount of friends that came in to him when he was uh, having some difficulty. Anyone know how many friends he had that came to him? Yeah, there's three, three of them. Now, these friends, uh, at first they did okay. They came and they encouraged, they, they sat with him, they were seeking to comfort him, but then they began to give him wrong counsel. They began to say, Job, if you're suffering this bad, you must have sinned some way against God. You need to repent and get, get forgiveness with the Lord. But their advice was bad, and so that's why you even see at the end of the book of Job that God has to rebuke his friends and, and say, hey, you, you, you didn't do this. Your counsel was bad, and Job ends up praying for his friends. And that's all to say that friend... We're, we're imperfect people, but if there can be a level of loyalty, it can go a long way. I don't think there's any way, better way for us to end than John 15, 13, words of Jesus. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus exampled to us the greatest advice on friendship. Jesus literally laid down his life for us. Now, not only do I think, you know, there should be that, that with, with the friends that we have, hey, you know, I'm willing to take the bullet for you. But what about just in the everyday things? Sometimes it's easier to die for someone, but what about to, to in a sense, live for them? In a sense, put yourself second. Because notice, it says to lay down one's life for his friends, meaning I'm willing to put myself second. I'm telling you, listen, if you guys begin to do that within the relationships that God's put in your life, you are going to create those covenant, those, that loyal 
type of friendships that's going to last and that's going to be beneficial in your life. And so if you want a friend, what do you got to be? You got to be a friend. And begin to be those around you. Pray and ask the Lord. Listen, the Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And so you begin to talk to the Lord and you begin to ask him to help you live like the Bible says. All right, let's pray. Lord, we we come before you, God, and we do thank you that you would even call us your friend. Lord, the only way that that's possible is because of what you did for us on the cross. We're no longer your enemies, but we get to be, uh, Lord, close with you. We get to know who you are and and what you're doing. God, we uh, just ask today, Lord, I pray over these students and ask that here in this room, Lord, these uh, these uh, seven or seven and a half months left that this, this class has together. God, would you build friendships here, relationships that would last, that wouldn't be based upon selfishness, but selflessness, that would be based upon a mutual commitment for the benefit of the other, whether that's saying the hard things, whether that's encouraging, whether that's just preferring one, one another's interests over our own. God, we know that Um, You can do big things through a a group of committed people to you and to one another. We saw you do it with the disciples. We've seen you do it with the early church and the Bible. And God, we want to just be people that are busy about your business, but doing it together. God, any students who maybe you've been speaking to today, and they've been, maybe you've been convicting them of that they've had a wrong perspective. God, would you help them to live in that way? Or maybe some who so desperately, they just, they desire that. They, they're following you, but they just want to do it with someone else. God, I pray that you would put people in their path, that they themselves would be friendly. They would be the friend that they want to be, want to have. And God, you would do a great work in their life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 